Well, last Sunday was Pentecost, as many of you no doubt will know, and if you were certainly if you were here, you will certainly will have known that because we spoke about Pentecost, the outpouring of God's Holy Spirit last week, which means that this Sunday, as always, in the church year, the Sunday after Pentecost is Trinity Sunday. So that'll be our topic for today. And uh, Trinity Sunday has come to be one of my favorite Sundays in the year, in, in, in one sense. So um, I'm glad to be here this Sunday. I wouldn't want to miss this Sunday because I suppose the Trinity has come to, or my, my understanding of the Trinity has grown in the last seven years such that it, I really understand now how much it is the foundation of our Christian faith, the heart of what we believe in as Christians. And that's what we want to talk about uh, this evening, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Let me start by um, mentioning a question. I, there's a book here in my bag um, about various aspects of, of theology. And in this book, um, the author poses a question. He says, if you were to go up to the average Christian uh, in, in churches in, in Europe, wherever, in the United States, North America, and ask them, what meaning does the Holy Trinity have for your personal Christian life? You would probably get blank stares. So, huh? I don't know how it is with you. You guys, most of you are looking blankly at me now. Let me pose that question to you. What difference or what um, significance does the Holy Trinity have for your personal Christian life? Well, certainly around seven years ago, um, I would have stared back blankly as well. Even though I grew up in the church, grew up in a Christian home, never denied the Trinity, never had any problems affirming it. But for me, as perhaps for a number of you, it was something that I f didn't fully understand, didn't fully comprehend. It had little to do with actual real Christian life. In some senses, it was maybe a mathematical conundrum maybe difficult to explain, maybe a bit of a liability when talking with, with people outside the church, people who were not Christians. What is this trinity? But I'm thankful to God's grace that, I, I'm just pulling seven out of the hat, it was around seven years ago that he began to open my eyes to the reality of the Holy Trinity. And from being something on the outside, something on the edge, something that I, that you, I almost felt I could do without in my Christian faith, it switched completely switch completely so that it has, in actual fact, the foundation of our Christian faith, the foundation of our belief. So let me start now by asking you the question, who is God? Who is God? How would you answer that question? We still speak a lot about God in our society, and I think most people have in their minds when, when they hear the word God, they have a concept in their minds that springs into their thought when they hear that word of who God is or, or what God connotes for them. Who is God? How would you answer that question? Well, the New Testament gives us a variety of answers to that question, unpacking different facets of who God is. But one of the answers that it gives us is found in 1 John Chapter 4 and verse 16. 1 John chapter 4 and verse 16. And there the Apostle John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, he writes the following words. God 
is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. God is love. Now, I'm sure that's a statement that we've all heard before. God is love. It's a popular statement, certainly, in a time like ours. Our our culture, our society places great value on love um, without defining it further. It's the kind of the time that we live in that love is seen as a good thing. So most of us, when we hear that sentence, that statement, God is love, we respond positively. That's a good thing. Good thing that God is love. But my contention or my, my argument today that I would really like you to see is that the only way God is love, the only way this statement is true, is if God is also Trinity. If God is also three in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God is love, and that is true because God is Trinity. Think about that statement for a moment. God is love because God is Trinity. Other religions might talk about how God loves or that he is pleased with certain things, certain behaviors perhaps, or that, he, that he's generally benevolent towards people. But only Christianity confesses that God is love. Not just that he loves. God is love. That's a fundamental Christian distinctive. And that means that our God, the Christian God, is different, is fundamentally different from all other gods. He's not like any other God. So just think about that statement from 1 John, that God is love. This is exactly what Jesus Christ reveals. The fact that Jesus calls himself the Son of God in fact, says it all, because being a son means that he has a father. Being a son means that he has a father. So the God Jesus Christ reveals is first and foremost a father. And in fact, um, after the sermon, we'll speak the creed together, and that is in fact exactly what it says in the creed. I believe in one God, the Father. This is so fundamental. That's my prayer today that as we go through these things together, you will be you will leave here changed in your view of God, in your understanding of who God is. And when you begin to grasp these truths, they should have a profound effect on the way you live your life, the way you think about God and the way you talk about God. The God that Jesus Christ reveals is first and foremost a father. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That means that Jesus reveals God as first and foremost, that means before all other things, as a Father, and not first and foremost as a creator or as a ruler, someone who rules over the creation. Now, God is also creator and ruler, but he's not first and foremost that. He's first and foremost a father. And this makes all the difference. You see, we can approach the question about God from two ways. 
Often, in fact, when we go out into the world and we speak to people about God, we, I don't know, we might say something like, do you believe in God? That's why I asked you the question before, um, what do you understand when we hear that word, God? Because the first way of approaching God is to approach God as merely a creator and ruler. Or before all other things, he's the creator and ruler. And that's often the way we go when we go the apologetical way, where we defend the faith, when we say we defend the fact that we believe in God at all. We may look at the natural world and look for plausible arguments why this world has a cause and didn't come from nothing, and why that cause is divine, supernatural, outside of the created order itself, why that causes God. And so by going that way, which is plausible, we reach a God who is first and foremost creator and ruler, but not father. And so we might, we might then ask the question, what was God doing before creation? What was God doing before creation? If we go the way of merely approaching God by way, of his, by way of the fact that he is creator or ruler, it's very difficult to answer that question. What was God doing before he created, before he became the creator? In fact, it's very hard to have any respect or honor for such a God who is first and foremost creator and ruler because he shows that he needs a creation. He needs us to be what he, what he is, namely a creator. You cannot be a creator Without a creation, God is dependent on his creation. But that's not how our God is. That is not how our God is, who is first and foremost a father. What was God doing before creation? Jesus tells us this explicitly in John chapter 17. And John chapter 17 is a place that you want to spend a lot of time if you're thinking about the Trinity if you're thinking about that question, who is God? What does it mean that God is love? This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, is what it's often called. The prayer that he prayed to God, the Father, just before he went out into the garden and was betrayed and arrested. The prayer has three parts, but from this last part, we read these words. John seventeen twenty four. Father, Jesus says, you loved me before the creation of the world. That's the answer. What was God doing before the creation of the world? Jesus gives us the answer. This is the God revealed by Jesus Christ. Before God ever became a creator, before he ever ruled the world and became a ruler, before anything else, this God, our God, was a father loving his son. Before anything else, our God was a father Loving his son. And if God is a father, then he must be relational and life-giving. I'm a father. I have three boys. Before I had three boys, I wasn't a father. I can't just claim to be a father without a son or a daughter, for that matter. So to say that God is a father means he is relational. It's part of his nature, who he is, to relate to other persons. And a father is also life-giving. He's fundamentally out, outgoing, outward-oriented. And so he becomes the sort of God we could love. 
He's not merely first and foremost a creator and a ruler who has set up laws for his creation which we must obey. No, he's fundamentally a father always loving his son. He's relational. And that means, and this should change your view or or sharpen your view of God, that when we come to think about God as creator, when we come to think about God as ruler, well, that we think of him first and foremost as a father. He's a loving father who creates. He's a loving father who rules this world. And that should affect the way we go out and we, where we live our lives, where we are part of the, have history, part of this world, that we understand this world is, has been created by and is being looked after by not some distant God who is first and foremost a creator who sets up rules for his creation to live by, but first and foremost by a father, always loving his son. So this then is a God who can be love. The statement that John makes, God is love, can be true because in all eternity, as Jesus says, Father, you loved me before the creation of the world. But now imagine a single person God. Not a God like ours who is three persons in one, but just a single person God. Could this statement be true, God is love? Could this statement be true about a single person God who in all eternity past was not a father always loving his son? He was alone. How can someone who is alone be said to be Love. You see, when we talk about love, we're not talking merely about good emotions or feelings, as important and as good as they are. There's nothing wrong with good emotions, feeling love. But when we talk about love, we're talking about, or or we could define love this way as to will the good of the other, to will the good of the other, to make a conscious decision for the advantage of the other and not for myself. So if I say I'm just I'm going to love I think Ello's down the back. She's getting the drinks ready for after the service. I'm going to love Ello because I hope thereby that she'll make me a nice cold drink after the service. That's not love. Because I'm doing that that just that's just enlightened self-interest. I'm doing something which will ultimately benefit me. No, to love is to truly will the good, the best for the other person, what, what is best in their interests, which is why Christian love is so strong. It's not weak. It's a strong love. And you can read the hymn that St. Paul composes about love in 1 Corinthians 13. But now come back to this single person, God. If God is not Trinity, if God is only single, a single person all, in all eternity past, could the statement be true that he is love? How can that be true when there is simply no other upon which he can bestow his love? No other for whom he can will the good or will the best. Fellowship is unknown to him. Relationship unknown to him. There is no one. There is no object for him to love actually. So you see again, our God is fundamentally different from all other gods 
And this should change our view of God completely. That when we think of God, we think first and foremost of a father always loving his son. In fact, pouring out his spirit upon his son as a measure of the love that he has for him. That's the picture we see at the baptism of Christ. We can read it in Matthew chapter 3. Verses 16 through 17, we, we see this picture, this revelation of who God is. Matthew three sixteen. as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love with him. I am well pleased. So this is the God that Jesus Christ reveals. Eternally loving. That the Father loves his Son and pours his Spirit out upon him. The Son loves the Father and the Spirit glorifies the Father forever. This is who God is and this is how God can truly be said to be love as John writes in his letter, that God is love. But what does this mean for us? I mean, I really want you to grasp this because I want this to change your understanding of God. If when you think of God, you don't think of a father always loving his son, then I want to challenge you. I want that to change because that's going to change the way you live your Christian life. It's going to change the way you speak to people outside the church about truth about the gospel about who god is when you go out there and you say to somebody just as an example do you believe in god you're going to be telling them something fundamentally different you're going to be telling them about a completely different god when you've grasped these things so let's go back to john 17 now jesus high priestly prayer again as I mentioned before, a place that you want to spend a lot of time if you're thinking about these things. Now I want to start here in verse 3. It's at the beginning of his prayer. Jesus says this. We kind of give an insight here into a conversation between two persons of the Holy Trinity, the Son praying to the Father. Jesus says this, Now this is eternal life. That they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So eternal life, real life, is to know God. And to know God is to know him as he really is. Namely, as Trinity, as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you see, this is important. Christianity is not primarily about lifestyle change, about changing our lives to conform to a moral standard. Our lives will change. That's true, but it's not primarily about that. Rather, it's primarily about eternal life is about knowing God. And Jesus Christ, that is knowing God 
as he really is, as a blessed three in one and enjoying him. That's what we've been saved for. This, come back, this comes back to the example that I, that I mentioned before. If we view God first and foremost as a creator, someone who creates a universe and an earth and sets up a moral standard of behavior for his creatures to follow, what's the gospel with a God like that? The gospel can only be that I've broken the rules or we've broken the rules and perhaps for some reason God has provided forgiveness. He's agreed to to overlook the fact that we've, that we've broken the rules and he's now made it possible for us to again live under his rule. That would be the gospel with a God like that. And while I could respect, while we could respect a God like that, could we love a God like that? What kind of gospel is that to go out and offer to people to come back into the rulership of this creator God? But our God is completely different, you see. Because our God is before all things a father, always loving his son, everything God does is as father, son, and Holy Spirit. So we're now invited, and we're going to see that in a moment in this this high priestly prayer, we're invited into the very fellowship of God himself, into the very fellowship of the Holy Trinity. Let's look now at verse 23, at this, at this astounding truth towards the end of the prayer. I'll start with verse 22. There, Jesus prays this, he prays this, and he's praying about, the people he's talking about are us He's talking about all who will believe in the testimony of his apostles, all who will come to know and follow Christ. He says, John seventeen twenty two, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. Let's just stop there for a minute. We see again, God is fundamentally an outgoing God. He's a life-giving God because he's a father loving his son. He gives life to the son. And he gives his glory to the Son, and he wants to share that glory. I in them, verse 23, and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me, and listen in, and have loved them even as you have loved me. That is a profound statement. What Jesus is saying is that the eternal love that God the Father had for God the Son before the creation of the world in all eternity past has now been put onto us. You now receive the same love with which God the Father has eternally loved the Son before creation. This is a God whom I can love. This is a God who shows himself to be love. This is where we see that the gospel of Christianity is not about fixing a problem, namely sin, and getting everything back on track so that it can keep going on as normal, so that we can keep living according to the law or the rules. No, our God is different and his gospel is different. Our God is about sharing his abundant life and his abundant love with us. 
It's as if in eternity past, God loved the Son. God the Father loved the Son, Jesus Christ. When you, when you love someone, you, you experience joy out of that relationship. So the Son, Jesus Christ, is actually a source of great joy for the Father. And because the Father is life-giving, he's outgoing. He's not a God who's alone. He's not a single-person God curved in on himself, which is what we are as sinners until we're made outgoing again by the Holy Spirit. Because he's outgoing, not curved in on himself, he desires to share that love with others. It makes no sense if you think about it for a single person, God, in all eternity, who's always been alone. Why would that God even create? Why would that God who's only concerned about himself, who knows no other, who knows no love, who knows no fellowship, why would he even create? But for our God, it's different. Because our God has always been a father loving his son. He's always been giving life. And therefore, he, cre- he creates a creation so that, and he, he basically says to us, what I've been doing in all eternity, loving the son, I want you to share now in that love. What do you like doing in your life? Do you like going outside and eating ice cream? Do you like drinking an ice cold drink on a hot summer's day? Do you like traveling the world? Do you like playing games? Do you like watching films? In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with these things in moderation. In moderation. Not too much ice cream. But as if the father would come to you and say, you know what, I've been around for a while. I'm eternal. And in all eternity, I've been enjoying the Son, Jesus Christ. I've been pouring out my love on him. He fills me with such great joy. I want you to share in that joy. I want you to be fulfilled in the same way that I've been fulfilled. And this is what God is about. He's about sharing As we read just a moment ago, sharing, he shares his glory with the Son. It's interesting, isn't it? In Isaiah chapter 48, there God says, I will not share my glory with another. Except, if you read the context, except the Son. But God gives his glory to the Son that that the Son then might share it with us. The same love that God the Father has poured out on the Son through the Holy Spirit in all eternity is now the love that he pours out on us. So we're not just saved from sin with our gospel. We're saved into a relationship with the triune God. In fact, taking another, taking another swipe at, at a single person God there are a few around, quite popular in some parts of the world, how would that God even have a relationship if he's been alone in all eternity past? I'm skeptical of the ability of a single person God to even love, even had they brought forth a creation. But we're created in order to come into a family relationship with God. I'd like to read a a passage from Galatians 4 with you here. Another astounding passage. Let's read Galatians 4, verses 4 through Seven. When the time, oh, sorry, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, born of a woman, the Blessed Virgin Mary, born under the law, the Old Testament law of Israel, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons and daughters. 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. What an astounding passage that is. What an astounding truth that is. We're saved into relationship with God. We're adopted because God is life-giving, because God is sharing. We're adopted into his family. And what this verse is saying is that we now stand before God the Father. Not before a distant God. Not before a God who is primarily creator and primarily ruler, like a cosmic highway patrol officer. Rather, we stand before a loving Father. And we stand before this loving Father, and we stand next to the Son, Jesus Christ, as his brothers and sisters. The same love that that Father has been pouring out on his Son in all eternity is now poured out on us because we're part of God's family. And the way God has poured out his love is by the Holy Spirit. That's what it says in Romans 5. God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Romans 5, 5. That's what we saw in the baptism of Jesus Christ. Jesus coming up out of the water and a voice from heaven saying, this is my son whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. And what was happening, the spirit of God was being poured out on Jesus that time in the form of a dove. And it's the spirit of God who then works in us to allow us to say, Abba, Father. We can address the eternal Father the same way that Jesus Christ the Son has been addressing him in all eternity. This is the relationship we have with our God. Because God is Trinity, God is love. And so I say again, our God is completely different to all other gods. So we've, we've seen what it means for the gospel. This, this affects our lives when we go outside and we tell people about God. What God are we talking about? We're talking about a God who is love. That means a God who is Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's think about our assurance, how we live the Christian life. If there's no Trinity, I don't think there's much assurance. We don't have much we don't have much, anything to rest on. If we would approach that God who is the cosmic lawgiver, the creator and the ruler, if we were merely the slaves of some ruler God, which is incidentally what a lot of the other ancient Near Eastern peoples believed about their gods. Take, for example, the Babylonian god Marduk. Marduk according to the legend, had created human beings in order to be his slaves, in order to do things for him. So let's think if we were, if we were the slaves of some God like that and we, and we kept making mistakes, stuffing, thing up, stuffing things up, what, what assurance would we have that he wouldn't cast us away? We have very little assurance. But when it comes to the Trinity, we have Every assurance, because we've been united with Christ, adopted into God's family, that God the Father has poured out his Holy Spirit upon us. He's set upon us the eternal love that he's had for his Son. We are so safe in relationship with our God. And I've spoken to so many people here. This is, it has immense practical um, 
application to your lives. I've spoken to so many people here at church who are, who obviously at some level haven't understood that this is who God is, haven't grasped that this is what God is like. They're still in some sense afraid of God and not in a good way that we are in awe of the amazing majesty and glory of God like Isaiah and Ezekiel were when they had a vision of the Almighty, but afraid in the sense of, I can't approach this God. You need to grasp your position before God. You're not outside God, as it were, speaking to some distant emperor up in heaven who may brush you off if he's feeling displeased with you. No, you're saying, Abba, Father. You have the intimate relationship with God as your father. And if you've had a father here, an earthly father, who has been terrible, unfortunately that can be true, then it would be, it would be the mistake of a lifetime to project what happened with your earthly father onto your relationship with God the Father. That's the wrong way round. It's earthly fathers who are supposed to imitate the love of the heavenly father. This is a deep and true love. Can you imagine God the Father casting away Jesus Christ, God the Son, saying after all eternity, look, Jesus, you no longer give me joy. I no longer love you. Will you leave? This is absurd. It's unthinkable. And just as absurd and unthinkable is it that God would cast us away when he's adopted us into his family as sons and daughters, when we come before him with the same confidence that the Son comes before him, Empowered by the Spirit to say, Abba, Father. And then we come to look maybe at what this means for the object, the point of our Christian life. The point of our Christian life ultimately is to glorify God, to enjoy Him. We're invited, as Peter says, to partake of the divine nature that is to have a part in the life of the Holy Trinity. That's in First Peter. So when we enjoy Christ, when we love Jesus, we're enjoying and loving what God the Father has always enjoyed and loved in all eternity. And think about what will satisfy us in life. What's the point of life or what will satisfy us? I mentioned before ice cream and cold drinks and films. And again, there's nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But they ultimately won't satisfy us. They ultimately point towards their source, the giver of all good gifts, our God in heaven. Whatever has satisfied God the Father in all, in all eternity, namely God the Son, is, I think, a good candidate to be satisfying for us too. So it completely changes. Understanding that God is love and that therefore this can only be true if God is also Trinity and therefore really grasping what this means, that that means that God, the God that Jesus Christ reveals is a loving father, always loving his son, pouring out his spirit upon him. This changes the gospel that we go out and preach to the world. It changes our understanding of who God is. And when we go out there and say, do you believe in God? We have to make very clear which God we're talking about. Because people don't know this God. 
And our God is so different from all other gods. It changes our assurance that we can rest, truly rest in God because we're adopted into his family as sons and daughters. It changes the way we communicate with God because we can pray to him with the confidence that the Son of God had in all eternity as he approached his Father saying, Abba, Father. And it changes the object of our Christian life. We're freed from the concept of having to live up to or keep certain cosmic laws to appease a cosmic lawgiver, God. Rather, we're invited to join the Father and the Son in enjoying themselves and enjoying each other, enjoying God himself. God is so giving, so life-giving, so sharing, so outward-oriented, so full of love that he gives us the very best thing he can. He does give us ice cream. He does give us cold drinks. I'm just thinking of that because I'm so warm right now. But he gives us more than that. He gives us the very best thing he can give. And the best thing he can give is the source of all good, namely himself. And when we enjoy him, we give him glory. So take a few questions uh, with you now as we come to the end. How will this, I mean, this is my prayer this morning when I was praying uh, before the morning service. This changed my life. It changed my concept of Christianity. It changed my concept of belief, of what it meant to be a believer, to be a Christian, to be a religious person. And yet, it, it is to some degree a struggle. I find myself falling back, if I'm not careful, into old patterns of thinking about God or thinking about who God is. But that was my prayer this morning, that people today, when they heard this message on Trinity Sunday, which is why it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year, I love to talk about the Holy Trinity. I love to talk about ultimate reality, about who God really is. And that's what it's about. Do you know God as he really is? And I pray that you would know him as he really is, because he is a God who is so beautiful. He is a God that is so worthy of our love. He is truly love himself. He is, before all things, a loving father, always loving his son. So what will this mean for you as you leave here today? Will you lay aside old patterns of thinking about God, old fears that come from not knowing God as he really is? Will you lean back and rest in the position that you have if you are in Christ as a son or daughter of the Most High? How will this change your view of the Christian life? How you approach the tasks that you have to do tomorrow morning on Monday? Will you approach them with a sense of drudgery that I have to complete these things because they're obligations bearing down on me? Or will you change the way that you live, that you think I have been called and invited to enjoy this God and as I love this God, I will begin to be changed and I will begin to be like God and I will therefore become loving. That's how my life will change. And I hope that it's a comfort to some degree for those of you who are perhaps scared or sad, that you would be reminded of who our God really is, that he's completely different from all other gods, that he is a father, eternally loving his son by pouring out his spirit upon him. And he invites us 
to be adopted into his family, to be to share in this love and to be part of this joy. Amen. I just want to say we're going to now say the Nicene Creed. Who's heard of the Nicene Creed? Amen. That's really encouraging. Good creed. Um, I just wanted to say at the end of the service, if you've got questions about the Holy Trinity, because I haven't given you tonight a a defense, if you will, of the scriptural uh, proofs for this, for example. If you've got any questions about the Holy Trinity, come up and speak to me at the end. I'd be more than happy to talk to you. But I hope that you can see um, at the end now that the only way that it can be true that God is love is if God is Trinity and he really is love. So we're going to say the, the creed. If you affirm, yes, I believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, then I invite you to stand now. I'm going to say the Nicene Creed together. The other good thing about this is you might have heard um, from Jesus' prayer that he prayed, Father, that they... Let me just open it for you because it's such an important uh, verse in Jesus' prayer. And also with regard to evangelism, to the spreading of the gospel, he says, So that they may be brought to complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them, even as you have loved me. So it's interesting that Jesus says, Our unity as Christians, in no small part, affects how the world will actually come to know that the Father sent the Son. And as we say this creed, we're uniting ourselves with all true churches around the world and all the Christians who make up those churches who confess this to be true about our God. So I'm going to do it this way. Um, I'm going to say, say the verse and then we're all going to say it together afterwards. Okay? So here we go. We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth and of all things visible and invisible. We believe in one God. And in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds. God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father by whom all things were made. Who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven. He was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day, he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven. And he sits at the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end.
we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe in one holy, Catholic, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. That's your faith, Christian. Okay, please be seated again.